evidence and answers. In Luke 18, Jesus tells the parable of two men who went up to the temple to pray, a self-righteous Pharisee and a humble tax collector. The two men were polar opposites in the Jewish community. One belonged to the most spiritual and holy group, while the other was part of the most hated and despised profession. However, one was righteous before God, and the other was rejected by God. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In a recent message at Grace Gospel Church North in Manila, Pat shared how Jesus explained the difference between true righteousness and false self-righteousness. Now with part one of this two-part message is our host, Pat. Our speaker for this morning is again not new to us, has been speaking for us since pre-pandemic times or even in the online worship service has been with us. He is the founder of the, and, and the executive director of Evidence and Answers, a research and teaching ministry specializing in Christian apologetics the defense of the Christian faith. He is, of course, married to Dr. Satomi and an author of three books that some of us or most of us known, The Apologetics of Jesus, Caring for Those Who Are in Doubt, God, Eternity, and Spirituality, who is considering about the worldviews in light of the Christian worldview, and the book, Unless I See, Is There Enough Evidence for the Faith that We Have in the Lord Jesus Christ? So without further ado, let us welcome our speaker for this morning, all away uh, from Hawaii, Dr. Patrick Zukiran. Good morning. And aloha. Yes, it's been about, what, three years, man, three years that uh, I have not been able to come to the Philippines, so it's just wonderful to be back, I spent two weeks at uh, teaching at Word of Life in Laguna. Just a great time with our brothers and sisters out there and speaking at the Singles and Professionals Conference. So it's been wonderful to be back here in the Philippines. Well, turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. We're going through verses 9 through 14 today. I uh, hope many of you get to listen to us on DZAS. We're on Saturdays and Sunday nights at 8.30 p.m. Or you can always go to our website at evidenceandanswers.org and listen to over 700 radio shows we have there, interviews with some of the top scholars from all over the world on issues of transhumanism, biomedical engineering, Islam, Buddhism, atheism, debates I have had with those of other worldviews, a whole host of great resources there for you. And you can always contact me if you have questions, pat at evidenceandanswers.org. And also, we have some very special things coming up. We have our favorite Japan Christian History Tour. We will be in southern Japan looking at the sites where many Christians hid and practiced their faith in secret. We know that in the 1500s, when Christianity came to Japan, by the way, a lot of the early missionaries were from the Philippines. Do you know that? And some of the Christian samurai who were exiled 
came here to the Philippines. There is a park in Manila, Friendship Park, dedicated to Takayama Ukon, Christian samurai who came here to the Philippines and died here in the Philippines. Famous park there for him. My wife and I found it. As you know, Christianity spread throughout Japan. Then it was persecuted. Hundreds of thousands of Christians died for their faith. Christianity is, was nearly wiped out of Japan and really never has gained a foothold again in Japan. But you get to hear the great story of the Japanese Christians who had to practice their faith in secret and will go to the places where they lived and hear their story and also to the places where many of them lost their lives for Christ. So you'll see a side of Japan that you will never see on any other tour of Japan. So I hope if you're interested, go to our website, evidenceandanswers.org, and I hope uh, some of you can join us either this year or in years to come. We are regularly going. Luke chapter 18. Let's pray together. God, give us insight into your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're answering the question today, what does it mean to be righteous before God? One of the most important questions everybody asks. How do I attain right standing with God? What does it mean to be righteous? What does righteousness look like? Well, in Jesus' time, there was a false belief that righteousness was all about good works. That right standing, anyone could attain right standing before God if they worked hard enough and maintained the rules and regulations that were taught by the traditions in the Jewish law. You see, the Jewish system at this time had developed so many additional traditions and rules and regulations that were added to the teachings of the Old Testament. And these traditions and these regulations now distorted the salvation message of the Old Testament. The Jewish system had developed with all these additional rules and regulations, they lost the true teachings of the Old Testament and eventually they began to teach and believe that a man could attain right standing with God through self-effort and good works. And this is the same teaching that's found in a lot of modern schools of Judaism today. If you get to go to Israel all right, and talk with many of those in Judaism, you'll discover that this is the same belief even to this day. And those in the kingdom of the cults, the non-Christian religions and many unbelievers believe that through self-effort they can attain eternal life or right standing with God or they can be righteous through their own self-effort. And Jesus addresses this belief here in Luke chapter 18 verses 9 through 14. Nothing keeps people out of the kingdom like self-sufficiency and self-righteousness. And we need to be careful because nothing drives people away from God's church than when his people unknowingly may become self-righteous. Jesus confronts this false teaching by telling a story about two men going up to the Jerusalem temple to pray. Now, these two men are polar opposites in the Jewish culture. The Pharisee belonged to the most spiritual group. They believed they were the most holy group because they rigorously followed the Old Testament law, while the tax collector was part of the most hated 
and despised profession in the land of Israel. Now, tax collectors, because they're so despised, they did not go to the temple to pray because they were so hated and despised by the community. But Jesus tells this story here, and we, he begins with, as we go into the temple, we hear the prayer of the first man, the Pharisee. And Jesus says here in verse 9, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. That was the attitude of this particular man and all who believe okay, that they are self-sufficient to attain righteousness and right standing before God. They exalt themselves and treat others who do not meet their man-made standards okay, with contempt. And the Pharisees trusted in themselves. They believed that they were righteous. They considered themselves the godliest of the nation because they tried to follow their traditions and their rules to the T. They had the outward appearance of godliness, but inwardly, many were spiritually dead. And they looked down on others, the text says. And this is the case with those who possess a false confidence in their own righteousness. They have a false and exalted view of themselves. And as a result, they look down upon others. And it says here, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed. The implication here is that he was at the front of the temple there. Now, the literal Greek translation can be translated like this. The Pharisee stood at the front and prayed these things to himself. Or it literally reads, the Pharisee prayed about himself. Okay? He was not praying to God. He was proclaiming his righteousness to himself before God in God's temple. And his prayer went like this. He said, God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes on all that I get. He said, God, I thank you. There's no request here. He's not asking for God for anything. All right? He was not delighting in the Lord. He was delighting in himself. And he said, man, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. He exalted himself while he was putting others down. Outwardly, he lived a righteous lifestyle, he condemned others of these sins without realizing that he was guilty of those sins as well. Right? Jesus said, if you look at a woman with lustful intent, you've committed adultery in your heart. Who hasn't done that? And if you say to your brother, you fool, then you have murdered him in your heart. He was guilty of these sins, yet in his self-exalted, self-sufficient pride, he didn't see it in himself. He had an even greater guilt, the sin of pride. You see, humility before God, love for others, compassion for others, that's the true essence of righteousness. That's what it means to be righteous before God, and this is what he didn't have. It's summed up, the Old Testament, it's summed up in Micah 6.8 in the Old Testament. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good 
and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's the essence of the Old Testament law. These qualities he was missing. See, the Pharisee failed to live out the great commandment, right? When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment of all? He said what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Something that he had failed to live. So he said, well, I thank you. I'm not like an adulterer or an extortionist or a thief. And probably at this time, the tax collector who was standing behind him probably even pointed to him. And he, and he said, and, and even like this tax collector, he said, I fast twice a week. According to the Old Testament law, fasting is only required once a week on the Day of Atonement, and you fast from sunrise to sunset. Now, according to the Talmud, okay, this is an additional book, expanding, giving you the additional regulations and traditions that had developed in Judaism. Voluntary fasting occurred Monday and Thursday twice a week. So the really pious fasted twice a week, and he said, man, I, fa I don't fast once a week, according to the teaching of the law. I fast twice a week. And then he says, I give a tenth of all I get. In the Old Testament, you give a tithe on your earnings or your harvest. And he said, hey, I do more than that. Everything I get, I give a tenth on. I do more. So he did double the fasting. He did more than the tithing law required. He felt he did more than God required and that he was standing righteous before God. So according to his claim, he went beyond the call. He went beyond the duty, so God should really be impressed with his record. Now, Luke's purpose here is not to identify a villain. He's here to identify an attitude that is contrary to the kingdom of God, the false idea of what righteousness is. Now, the Pharisee represents all who believe that they can be righteous before God, and the cults and all world religions not based on the work of Christ basically teach righteousness can be attained through good works. All right, so Jesus addresses this false ideology. But the Pharisee also warns us, believers in Christ, the people of God's family, of the danger we can fall into if we're not careful. Self-righteousness we can fall into that, and it can be a real turnoff to those who don't know Christ. We need to be careful. We do not fall into this sin as well. You know, I remember when I came to Christ, a bunch of us were playing, you know, American football and baseball, and we're not the kind of crowd that would go to church. Well, a bunch of us came to Christ. We started attending church. And, you know, we didn't dress right. You know, we came in like we came in from football practice or baseball practice. You know, we didn't know how to dress. We didn't know how to talk. We were still drinking beer and chewing tobacco and doing all, all those kind of things. We were brand new in Christ. And we would go to the Sunday evening service. So we'd go Sunday morning and we'd go to the Sunday evening service. And then Sunday evening, we would be in the church parking lot and we'd have a barbecue, all right? And we just 
hung out and fellowshiped with beer and barbecue and all that in the park. And you could tell the people in the church didn't want us there. You know, they despised us. You know, we could sense it. And we were wondering, man, should we even be attending this church? Should we not attend church? What should we do here? Well, it wasn't until one man walked over to us, began talking to us, and took an interest in us, and discipled us, all right? And it's because of him many of us are walking with the Lord today. It's because of him I'm in, you know, serving God in full-time ministry. You know, that self-righteous attitude is something we need to be careful of. I can tell you story after story after story of people who have left God's church because they sense that attitude towards them. You know, when I was a youth pastor, we had a young man named James. He was a gang member. He had tattoos and everything, earring. He came out of the gang and he came to faith in Christ. And he started attending the youth group and starting attending church. And the parents came up to me and said, we don't want him here at the church. I don't want a man, like, I don't want a boy like this coming into the same youth group with my daughter. Tell him to go somewhere else, all right? And I said, hey, this is who the church is for, people like him, all right? And a bunch of the parents came to me. They called, they left messages on my phone saying, we don't want him here. We don't want him with my daughter. We don't want him with my son. Get rid of this guy. And eventually, they talked to him, and he stopped showing up. And one day, I called him. I went to go look for him. He was back at the pool hall. And so I went down to the pool hall in the smoke-filled room, and I said, hey, James, where you been lately? And he said, oh, one of the dads called me, told me don't come to church anymore. And, uh, and he said, man, I was so hurt by that phone call. I don't want anything to do with church or Jesus anymore. You know, I don't know what ever happened to James, but, man, that kind of, you know, self-righteous, condemning attitude really cost the church there the life of a young man who Christ loved, who wanted to know Christ, but it turned him away from the church. You know, Susan Maurer, another good friend of mine, she has a tremendous story. But she went away to college, and in her freshman year, attended a college party where she was drugged, and she was raped, and she ended up getting pregnant. Well, when she went to church and they found out this is a single woman, and she's pregnant. They told her, out of here, all right? We don't want you hanging out with the man here. This is the kind of woman you are. Out. Never sat her down and said, what happened? What is going on? Uh, they just said, you're single, you're pregnant. We don't want these kind of women here. Out. She left church for years. It was decades before she returned because the reason, only reason she returned is that that young man, the result of rape, she decided not to have an abortion, she gave birth to Darren. Darren came to faith in Christ in college and led his mother to Christ. And it's about 25 years later that she finally returned to the church. See, legalism, self-righteousness kills. We need to be careful we don't fall into that trap. Now, your life application is this. Know the signs when you've fallen in to self-righteousness. Here's some signs you may have fallen into that attitude. You become self-righteous when you repel others. People don't like being around you, all right? I know a guy, 
I believe he's a brother in the Lord, but <laughs> he goes from church to church to church because each church, it's hard to be around him. And he came to our fellowship and he's lived in Hawaii all his life and he doesn't have any friends. So I thought, this is really weird. He's on his fourth marriage already. And, you know, I invite him to our Bible study and at our Bible study, wow, he's always telling us how terrible we are and how we're not good because we don't do this, we don't do that, we don't pray long enough, we don't wear the right clothes. And, then, and finally I had to ask him to stop attending. You know, it was really hard for us. So do you repel others? Are you uncompassionate towards others? Do you not care about others? Are you quick to condemn others? They don't dress right. They got a tattoo. They're divorced, they're separated. He has long hair. Whatever. We quick to condemn others. Do we love the approval and praise of men? Are we quick to reject correction? Do we have a legalistic mindset when people don't dress right, when they don't have the right haircut? We're quick to judge. We constantly comparing ourselves with others. And are we hostile to grace? Okay? Do we not want to extend grace to others? Think about that. Reflect on that today. Maybe you've fallen in to self-righteousness, something we need to be careful of. Now, in contrast to the self-righteous Pharisee, Jesus introduces us to the tax collector. He says, but the tax collector, standing far off, probably meaning he was standing in the back of the temple, probably not even in the temple, maybe in the outer court, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, tax collectors were hired by the Romans to collect taxes from their fellow Jews. And the Romans gave them a quota to meet. All right? Now, nobody knew what the quota was except the tax collector. And anything over that amount was theirs to keep. And many tax collectors charged more okay, than their quota. They were able then to gain a lot of income. That's why some of the tax collectors were some of the wealthiest in the community. And this is why that they were so despised by their fellow Jews. And it says here, this tax collector stood at a distance. He didn't even see himself as worthy to stand close to the sanctuary. Perhaps he stood at the outer edges, maybe at the court of the Gentiles. And he said he would not even look up to heaven. He beat his breast. This is a sign of sorrow, a demonstration of humility and sorrow over sin. And his prayer was very brief. And it was this, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You see, the tax collector sought God's mercy. He did not parade his own righteousness. His prayer was a confession of sin and a plea for mercy. And Jesus says this prayer is what reflects the attitude of the kingdom. Humility and a sincere desire to follow God and turn from sin. Jesus said in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, who mourn over sin, okay, who are repentant over their sin, for they shall be comforted. This is what God is looking for, a sincere heart, a, a turning to God, saying, God, I can't do it on my own. On my own, I am not righteous. I need you. This is the attitude that brings men and women 
to right standing with God. This is what righteousness looks like, God says. Right? Think about it. If things go wrong in a friendship, it's a sincere and humble attitude that's required to bring the fellowship back together. All right? Once again, we've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Have you been to our website lately? That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of different topics that will make for an incredible conference series. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or even schedule an apologetics conference at your church or location, give him a call in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Be sure to use our search engine. We have everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. To keep quality broadcast like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous financial support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to partner with us, you can head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. That's honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Oh,